This is the BodyWise Podcast. Thank you for joining Laura and Christina for another intimate exploration of collective wisdom. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being here in our maiden voyage of the BodyWise Podcast. I am joined here by my sister, Laura Mar. And I am Christina Kerp, and I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, the author of Made Whole Cookbook and Made Whole Made Simple to launch very soon, and the creator of The Castaway Kitchen, which is an online health and wellness space. And it's been kind of dedicated to healing through food, but following my whole journey on, you know, it's been like self-discovery and putting my autoimmune disease in remission. But as that journey has grown in the business and everything, I also kind of realized I had to go inward and focus on so much more than just the food on my plate. And it's been, it's been a beautiful, beautiful journey because, you know, having this platform online has allowed me to connect with so many people um, who are also healing holistically and tapping into their, you know, innate wisdom and their body's natural signals and really discovering that all the all the answers they need in the world are already inside of them. But it's not an easy process, especially I think in the society we live in, right? And I will say a big influence in my life to connect with that side of myself was my family, my mother and my sister and both my sisters. <laughs> and um, I'm really excited to be able to collaborate now with my sister, Laura, who's here on this because She's a wonderful, you know, so many wonderful insights to share. And she's always been uh, kind of the person I've grown up going to asking for uh, advice my entire life. <laughs> First, so it's a sign of a problem and I'm texting or calling her. So I'm really excited for all of you to get to know her as well. You want to tell everyone about yourself, Laura? <laughs> sure. Hi, everyone. It's really an honor to be here and um, to be collaborating with my sister, who I admire so much because she has just created this incredible and inspiring project over the last few years, really on her own as a very powerful creatrix that she is. And it's been, um, it's just been breathtaking to watch her evolve and to heal and to grow and go deeper into her calling. So it's just, um, it feels very special to be here doing this with her. And, <laughs> and yes, we, we are three sisters, actually. The youngest, because seeing as Christina mentioned, the youngest is Ana Victoria, and she is much younger than us. She ten was years. Kind of 10 years, the surprise baby um, <laughs> that kind of popped out. And she's, a, she's wonderful, and we have so much fun with her. And she's um, kind of like, my mother loves to tell the story how when she found out she was pregnant, Christy and I, sat down and decided to put together the best parts of ourselves since we were going to plan what this future sister was going to be like. You know, all of our favorite features and qualities, she was going to embody them. And it turns out we must be pretty powerful witches because that's exactly how she came out. Exactly how she came yes. out. Strong and fierce. And she's, she's pretty amazing. I mean, we're in our 30s, not to give away our age, but She's 10 years younger than us, but yet, yeah, this, this force to be reckoned with. And so she's, she's pretty amazing. And at the moment, planning to go off again to find a farm kind of community. She's intentional very, like, community, intentional community. Yeah. She does work on a farm programs and plant medicine yes. um, and we will definitely have her on and we our will. mother as well. You gotta, we gotta meet all of us, but yes, 
Laura, I want to know more about your your work that you do because I think that this space and this podcast is going to be, you know, a little different than what I share online normally with food and I, I stick to a lot of nutrition and some woo, but you've all for myself personally, I mean just this week I'm like texting you about my period because <laughs> your, you know, your work with um, holistic, you know, fertility and sexual health is just wonderful. So can you tell us more about that? Yes, absolutely. So I am a sexual health educator and let's see, there's a few things that I do because what inspired me to pursue this education was so that I, I really could be in integrity when I spoke to women about my passion theme. I mean, I love women's health, uh, reproductive rights, uh, sexual health and education. That's something that I think I've always been passionate about growing up. But um, in my 20s, when I was in a relationship with someone that I wanted to prevent pregnancy, I just felt so exhausted from the hormonal side effects of birth control. I had tried birth control because that's kind of what everybody did. I grew up in Miami and doctors, you know, if you're sexually active, you're just handed birth control. And I, I had just felt a whole year of mood swings and swelling and physical discomfort and chronic yeast infections and just all these things that felt pretty horrible. And I knew that I didn't want to go back there. And I was really dissatisfied with the options I was being presented. So I did my own research and I found something called the symptothermal method. And that just rocked my world and changed my life. And I started using that method to prevent pregnancy. And that was when I, that's been more than 10 years ago. I have two children and they were both intentional. So, and I haven't had um, any other pregnancies other than that. But what was most fascinating about being able to take control of my reproductive health and my pregnancy choices was the fundamental information and education that came with that. It was education about my body and my menstrual cycle, like basic anatomy and physiology, that as a college graduate and entrepreneur at the time, I just was shell-shocked by the fact that this was news to me. I didn't know any of this. I had just been using tampons and pads and pills and condoms and, you know, getting through life uh, and in sexual relationships and around my menstrual cycle, just surviving it whichever way I could. Re not realizing that I was in complete ignorance of all of it. And um, that was infuriating. It was infuriating because I looked back on a history of expectations, cultural norms, um, misogyny, superficiality, uh, just sexual development, high school, for the, right. I mean, high school years. Well, right, because you feel like we're kept in ignorance because it's a form of control. Yeah, I felt like we were kept in ignorance and, and not just control, it's like suppressive of ourselves you know, trying to fit into this mold of a, of a attractive, sexy, you know, young woman, all the while trying to discreetly feel, you know, like hide the fact that I have a menstrual cycle and that, and being a hundred percent responsible for not getting pregnant. If I chose to engage in sex, like, oh, I had to take care of myself. So it changed everything for me. That education was kind of like the beginning of me eventually 
being my own health advocate when it when it came to my birthing experiences and definitely going outside of the norm and feeling very empowered to do so. I felt empowered by that education, empowered to make better choices for myself, empowered to question the healthcare system and empowered to to just decide for myself what was best for my body and my spirit and my soul and my whole experience. And that led me to wanting to be able to teach this information to other women. And as though, and although I had been practicing it myself for 10 years and researching it and living it, I just, I, I found an incredible program that I became a part of. And I studied for two years in an intensive teacher certification program to be able to train other women to use the syntothermal method, also about their menstrual cycles, um, hormonal health, and just basically everything that I love to talk about. So that's what I do. I, I talk to couples. I talk to single women. I talk to people who have periods who want to either improve them or who want to learn to track them for health purposes, for contraception, or couples who are trying to conceive and want to know when they're most fertile. You know, it's, I guess what I want to say is that it's such a broad and beautiful subject because it affects our whole life, mm-hmm. how we cycle, how we feel, what we're eating, like food, nutrition, food as medicines, sexuality, uh, erotic energy, self-acceptance. Like it's just, it's a holistic world. It, it, it is. It, it does circle back and it is global. And I wanted to share with everyone that your empowerment and your self-discovery and even, you know, birthing your children. So we are from Miami, are, we're Cuban, we're first generation American, and it's very cultural in um, it's not, a lot of Latin cultures, but I think Cuba specifically, doctors are very revered. And so for our parents, what the doctor said was gospel. And we were all C-section births. We were all formula fed, you know, from very early on, sleep trained, the whole nine. Granted, we are ridiculously attached to our mother, all of us, and have a very good relationship with her. But Laura was the first one. She she sought out a midwife and she did home births. And it's and I and it's interesting because that was truly your your birth with Emma on the living room table in the house was really the catalyst for our family to pivot into a holistic lifestyle. Because you know, you had kind of started the restaurant with mom, but it was more just like gluten-free, you know, you know, organic, which we were always foodies, but really, I mean, you inspired me to go through, you know, my having my son, I did the birthing center, my prenatal care. And that was, you know, you breastfed exclusively and, you know, extended breastfeeding and really you set kind of the tone. And that, that was this like hugely empowering moment for our family and kind of, you know, all of us to be like, whoa, that we can do this. And we shifted, we shifted as a family and our focus and really for our children, then it was like, okay, now we have this next generation. Let's be better for them. And we did. So thank you for having the courage to be the pioneer. Oh gosh. Thank you. Yeah, it was, um, it was quite a, uh, a process and, and I felt Although family was freaking out, I did also <laughs> feel so supported, supported by all of you. They were totally and, freaking out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> totally freaking out. But everything was, it turned out wonderfully. Right. And um, yes, that only further, basically, like, I don't know, it, it gave me even more um, confidence and belief in this decision, in trusting my body. It was, it was one step in saying, hey, you know what? 
I don't think that birthing in a hospital would feel safe and comfortable for me. And after doing all the research that I did on natural birth, I realized, well, being at home and around my own smells and people that I trust and like less invasive procedures. And I was very lucky that my that my pregnancy was low risk and I was able to birth at home because I, I want to say that I want to say that I don't have any kind of judgment around what kind of birth is better. I will say that the best birth is the one that you as a woman feels the most comfortable with where you feel safe and you feel respected and cared for that's where you need to be right it i as some i ended up in the hospital so for those well not like my birth stories public knowledge but i did have my prenatal care at a birthing center i was in san diego when i got pregnant cuz i'd moved away from the family cuz my husband's military career so i was new to san, relatively new to san diego and luckily i found a birthing center that was very close and i had this most wonderful magical experience and felt very empowered by the education there during my pregnancy and then my son went 42 weeks so once you're you know past the 40 the 42 week mark you're now in the higher risk category and the birthing center you will not let you labor there so i was induced which of course then i'm like that's one intervention already um, and i was in a hospital without anyone that i knew like I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm gonna have a baby around all these strangers. So in that moment for me, it was kind of a nightmare scenario. And I will say that I didn't feel safe. Unfortunately, I, that was kind of something that last minute I lost control of. And I remember having my like, you know, 50 page birth plan that <laughs> went to, went out the window when that happened. And there were moments like the doula I had being, having mom there, Justin was, was my source of empowerment. And I was able to do it without further intervention despite the fact that I did experience a lot of the negative things that might happen when you go to hospital. I was being bullied into having a epidural and then a C-section because the baby was big and he was 10 and a half pounds. You know, I was put on my back when I had to push and it made it very difficult. Um, he crowned for 45 minutes. I pushed for over three hours, things like that, that just were, I remember feeling like there was students in the room because it was a learning hospital. At one point I was pushing and there's like 15 people in the room and mom had to kick everyone out you know, things like that, where I remember saying like, if one more person comes in here and tells, and they made me sign this like three inch thick waiver, like if you die because you won't sign off on a C-section for your massive baby, you can't sue us. Like literally they're making me sign this and I'm like having contractions. And there were moments when I think back that like, okay, I wish I could get a redo. However, I still remember feeling like, I feel like a badass. Like I pushed this monster baby out. And honestly, I didn't feel ever excruciating pain, despite the fact that Pitocin was kind of nuts. And I felt very proud of myself and very empowered. And we were both so healthy. So for me, of course, godsend, you know, winning already, you have a healthy baby, you're healthy, we're all healthy. Phew, right? But I do just wish that for everyone that whatever, wherever they end up, I hope that they, they know that they're right. It's, it's their experience. They should, they should have more, more say, right? So go somewhere where they listen to you. Yeah. Well, that is going to be a continuing challenge and a process. And, you know, there are, there are doctors and there are doctors and there are hospitals and nurses. And that's a whole other world and realm and topic, which we could continue to discuss. And we will come back to. We will. Because, yeah, we could have um, like four podcasts on that one. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the maternal care in our country is not something we should we we can necessarily be proud of at this time. 
in comparison to other parts of the world. They're doing a much better job than us. So we'll hopefully improve that. Right. Um, but I think starting off and even having, a, you know, teaching, you know, people with periods to um, that sort of that part of health is so empowering that it kind of sets the stage for, you know, continued growth and confidence and strength. And there's something I say in my, like in my next book a lot, which like knowing how it works is the first step and knowing how it works for me. And when you understand what's happening with your body and you don't have to rely on external sources, oh my gosh, that's like freedom. Huge. That's huge. I mean, gosh, yes. I love that you said that because for me and for the people that I've met in this line of work, I love how much like women and younger women are coming to, they're coming back to their bodies and they're coming back to themselves little by little. They're, you know, even though we say, wow, well, the world keeps modernizing and technology keeps growing. I see these women who are choosing to track their cycle and they are using an app. Most of them are using Kandara or, you know, Clue. there's so many different apps out there, but they are checking their cervical fluid and taking their temperatures and writing down what they're feeling, what they're taking, sometimes even what they're drinking or vitamins or supplements, and they're paying attention. And they're just that, just paying attention, just reading that book, talking to someone, just doing the research and wanting to learn more about their bodies and seeking out someone like me to have like in-depth conversations, to look at their charts, to, you know, that is so encouraging. It's so incredibly encouraging. And yes, that's going to set them up for, you know, whatever they decide to do in the future. If it does involve pregnancy, eventually coming to that from a place of body knowledge body versus literacy. body literacy. Yes. A term that I love very, I know, very I love much. It too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it just changes everything. I agree. And I, I like what you said about coming back to and I, I think we've had in conversations I've, you know, um, expressed that that's how I see um, food as medicine is be- returning to, it's a return to what we used to do, like what our great, great grandparents were eating or how they were living. Because I agree that we humans in our, you know, race to evolve and to learn and to create these amazing things, we got away from ourselves. You know, we, it's kind of like, in the fifties, it was like, Oh, look at these cool kitchen gadgets and TV dinners. It was like modern, you know, look at this, how cool to have all that. And we kind of lost our connection to nature and we, you know, bubble wrap the world, right? Like let's, how much separation can we put between ourselves and nature that's primitive and outside and dirty or whatever. And now we're realizing that this, you know, sterile plastic, everything's, you know, just, industrial world we created is at odds with our physical and our emotional well-being and it's kind of this tug of war yes absolutely and i think that's because i mean i think we're now realizing and medicine is coming around to to noticing that oh wait our body is made up of all those things that we've been trying to separate ourselves from. <laughs> right. We are organic. Right. We are made up. Of, we are a microbiome. We have, we need all of those critters out there that we've been trying to spray dead to survive because that we, that's what we're made of. Like we've got that in our bodies and they need to be healthy and, and they need an environment to thrive in. And if, 
nature is dying out, so are we. Like that's just, that has not been working. Our immune systems have gotten weaker and our, and our bodies collectively have gotten, have gotten weaker. And I love coming back to the idea of, yes, coming back to the body and how, can, how that's connected to what we say in our intro as collective wisdom. Because when we talk about collective wisdom, I, I like to highlight the, the part of that wisdom, which isn't really coming from an intellectual place. So much of it is coming back to our body wisdom, which is what, you know, our, the food that we put in our bodies creates our cells, the cycles that our body goes through in creation and destruction and letting go. And, you know, that idea of actually stepping into ourselves in the flesh and what that experience connects us to is, is ancient is ancient wisdom because if one thing has been slow to move in our world and change is humans is our bodies our bodies are very much have been very much the same for so many years even though our environment has changed and you hear health and wellness people talk about how you know our our bodies hasn't haven't been able to adapt to the technology and the advances of the modern world so there's so much like environmental stress Right, because we haven't evolved in like ten thousand years. Exactly, because we haven't evolved, for the, and we've, and in that evolution, we have lost a part of ourselves. And even in that like high value of intellectual power, which I am an I am an air person, I am a brain person. It has been my life's work to connect to my body because I am in my mind so much. So I I do want to put that out there, like. I do this work because I found myself really needing to come back into this body and kind of bring that energy down because I, I am in my mind so much and I love knowledge um, and science and research, but there's a component of the experience that I think we are all craving and it is to feel good in your body and to trust your body and know your body and feel powerful in your body. Right. To honor, to honor those, the sensations, the urges, the craving, because they're all signals from our body. I mean, literally, I mean, we want to get technical that it comes from chemical reactions and hormones that are happening, but we've, we've been told or just taught to shut it off, to not listen. And I'm a little bit of the opposite of you. Like you are an area, you're in your brain. I'm very, um, I'm pure like intuition. Like everything I do is kind of like, I don't think things I'm a doer, not a thinker. And I'm very, people ask me, I remember like when I had to learn to write down recipes and like actually measure things because people are like, how'd you make that? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm like, I go by sense and smell and touch. And, and you know, and for me, I think that so much of my life in my younger years, which, you know, I'm sure we'll get into one eventually as well, was like I was numbing that out because I'm someone who did abuse alcohol and drugs. And it was literally just constantly numbing it out. Like, like I, I, I got to the point where I wasn't connecting with my body at all. And I, because I was just shutting it off and kind of then I had to peel back the layers of that barrier that I built. Right. And I, you know, car, like I, <laughs> I don't know why I always use this like analogy, but like that, like on a car, you know, like the dash and they have the lights and we had check engine light and all that. I was just like, my dash was not blinking. I didn't want to look. And it's so, it's hard to explain to someone what it actually feels like when you're in tune with these things, when, you know, the ebb and flow that is like, you know, how our body changes with 
our menstrual cycles, but the cycles of like the moon and the seasons and depending on where we live, like I've now in Northern Virginia in a cold climate for the first time. And I see my body changing and adapting and having different needs because of my environment, because of how different the nature is here than in the tropical settings I'm used to, you know? And yeah, it's like, dig in. It's just kind of like, dig your toes in the dirt and the sand and, you know, connect with that because it is so powerful when you realize that we're just, it's this big cycle, the circle of life, you know, and we're just a little part of it and, and of that magic and it's, it's all there. Yes. And I think that we've been, because you, you mentioned that, you know, we haven't really been taught to connect with that. And that goes back into history, which I'd love for us to talk about maybe in a different podcast kind of, a historical context for the fact that we have disconnected from our bodies and bodies, you know, we, the Puritan concept, like, you know, the settlers in the United States, the original ideas and more conservative mindsets of the body is sinful or dirty. Um, you know, we coming from other cultures, which we have so many examples of like other traditional cultures that were really more connected to mother nature and how they honored their bodies and they kept their bodies strong and they were, they trusted their bodies versus the body being a source of disease and dis-ease and filth. And, you know, you don't, you think, ah, well, it's 2019. Are you kidding? Like, that's not what we think anymore. Like, you know, look around and when you do look around, you've seen this, you see this like sexualization of the body now. And sure, you see half naked models and on runways and, you know, really sexy ads and sex sells everything. However, is that really sex? Is that real sex? No. You know, there's this other constructed, corrupted idea that now we're being sold that no one can attain that you know we read about how it's just like negatively impacted adolescent children and you know that 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 um what is it, the airbrushing controversies oh and the- right it, well in in the circles that i work in it's something that i've I deal with because I find it difficult that sharing in the health and wellness space, you know, women who share their bodies online, it's like, if they look a certain way, they're sexualized. Right. But if they don't fit that traditional mold of like flat stomach, round, butt, firm, lean, whatever, then they they're attacked. Uh, And they are. And it, you know, I follow, you know, I follow some body positive accounts and God forbid a larger woman, someone with stretch marks, someone with scar, like they share their body, they are attacked. Because people, I think it just, it stirs something in people and they don't know how to handle it. And the only thing, the way they, they, they know is, is to attack, is to, you know, just put them, tear them down. And it's, and I even struggle with that, with even sharing my body online on my platform, because it is not the norm because it is not the, well, quote, air quotes, heavy air quotes, <laughs> norm, but and again, because I don't want it to be sexualized because that makes me feel uncomfortable, like for in that, in the perverted way of it, like I think my body is sexy and I like find it beautiful. And I, and I think that it's, but I don't know if I want to share that with also the internet because you know, none of their business. Yes. That's such a complex topic. And it's interesting in terms of, um, a contrast between Christy and myself is I am such an internet hermit. Like I, 
I am not a tech person. I'm not an internet person. I don't, I'm not present in social media. And she's been the, the opposite of that. Like she's an open book, share it all, super present. So that's, I hear her and it's, it's this fascinating world that, that I feel she lives in and has so much experience in. And it's just fascinating for me to hear it because obviously from what I see is maybe it's in movies or billboards or because I'm on the internet less or the way women and young girls are just dressing around and I, or the look they're attaining for now, granted there has definitely been, there's, there's been a a long way for feminism to go. And it has, I mean, just witnessing our youngest sister who's so comfortable in her body in a certain way and looking around me at even 20 somethings and younger people who are identifying themselves as they are, you know, using gender pronouns that fit them comfortably dressing the way that they feel expresses who they are as a person, something that looks, that's very unique and they feel empowered to do that and rebellious and wanting to go that route, which is so different from the experience I had when I grew up and I applaud it and it excites me and I love to see it. But I don't think that's the majority yet. I think that's the minority still. Absolutely. We, even you and I talk about this. We, we are, in a sense, another generation apart from our sister. And because of that, we have a different experience where for us, it's so ingrained. I mean, we are aware, we are aware of how we've been conditioned. But it, even if you're aware of it, it's still hard to fight against. Because so a little context, we were born and raised in Miami. We are first generation American, very Latin stereotypical. There was a lot of emphasis on appearance growing up. It was like totally normal to walk into a family party and the conversation revolved around how much pe- weight people gained or lost or what they look like or their relationships. And so much was put on. I mean, Miami in general has like, you know, this, I guess a lot of towns can say the same thing, but it's, a you know, people dress scantily clad. There's a lot of like, you know, tan, hairless, blonde, fit, you know, sexy, sexy, sexy. Everything is like charged up kind of and it was a lot. It was a lot to deal with, to, to, to grow up surrounded by women who were constantly plucking, tucking, pulling, changing to fit that mold so much. And a lot of them got close because, wow, you look around and you're like, oh my gosh, like, every, like how is everyone walking around on the street? They look like they just walked off a, a, a magazine cover. I mean, people really put everything there. There was a whole life revolving around fitting a certain look. And if you didn't fit that, it was like you were invisible or like a Sasquatch. <laughs> it was like, what? There was like no one, there was like no in between. And that's something that we still, that, that we're aware of. And we, as we raise our children, we hope, you know, and even in the way that we speak to them, for them to never feel that they have to do that. But it was, it was a crazy time, the eighties and the nineties. Um, Absolutely. And for me specifically, like I remember very clearly how much, actually I just had a memory and Anna Victoria, my youngest sister reminded me of this, that in high school, it was perfectly acceptable. If you wore a skirt for your guy friends to like, touch your leg to check how smooth your leg was. Oh my! It was gosh. like your guy friends would just check if it was smooth enough. Like, like shave check. Uh, shave check. A shave check. I, I just... Which, by the way, in like for a community for of Latin women, which we are hairy, like de-hairy. I remember having conversations with girls, I mean, shaving their arms, shaving yes. everything. And everything. Everything. And 
wow. Yeah, I just and really head right. to toe, like yes, yes. baby smooth, which not naturally. I understand that there's a lot of people, um, and depends where you're from, that you are naturally very thin hair. But for us, those of us who have, you know, especially if you have like Spaniard roots, fair skin, dark hair, mm. it's thick and it's everywhere. And yeah, and it's how, like a five o'clock shadow. <laughs> yes. But it's like, how is that not? you know, again, so not only was it like thinness, sexiness, but it was like your hair, you know, your shape, if you, you know, oh gosh, I know. Yes. It was like, it was brutal. Right. It was like, you were too skinny or you were too fat. And like, you very, very few people made it like right in the middle of like curvy, but what, oh my, the, the standards were ridiculous. And Lauda and I have talked a lot about, about our different experiences with that, you know, I, so my Laura, she's not, she's never really struggled with being overweight. You know, neither of my sisters have actually, um, I'm like the middle child, left-handed black sheep, <laughs> but I have, and it was so interesting. It's just so interesting when the three of us get together and our different journeys. And you have these three women who just had these insane experiences, but I always tell people, everyone still has their struggles because it's just the way society's been constructed. It doesn't matter which side of the spectrum you're on, you're still judged and you still have hardships. And uh, it's like, damn the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I would say I'm on that other side of the spectrum where I had it pretty easy in middle school and high school in terms of like friends with everybody, including the cool kids and considered potentially one of the cool kids and accepted as attractive enough to be you know, considered. When we were in middle school, I was in seventh grade. Laura was in, no, I was in sixth grade. You were in seventh grade, right? Or is eighth grade? Six, seven, eight. And then, right. So you were in eighth grade. I was in seventh grade. Laura was dating Lucho, who was the, the, the hottest guy in school. And they were like the power couple. Um, and yeah, we're only a year apart. So there was a lot of like, oh, that's your sister. I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that being said, I remember how, Victoria's Secret magazines were brought to school and guys were looking at them and girls were looking at them. And all they wanted more than anything is every girl wanted to look like a Victoria's Secret model. And I still remember how much, like how tormented I felt by not knowing what cervical fluid was. And I would look in my underwear and see this like gooey stuff coming out of it. And, and I remember feeling like, this is, this does not match my idea or concept of some sexy vixen, Victoria. Like I'm trying to be this really sexy, perfect girl that society is expecting of me. And even your family is expecting of you, but they don't talk to you about sex and they don't talk to you about menstruation. So you have no idea what any of this stuff is. So then why the hell is something that looks like mucus coming out of me? Like gross. That's all I could think of. Gross. And that's all my body could hear, gross. So there was this part of me that considered like my genitals gross. And yet on the outside, I had to package myself in a way as though I was this really confident young woman, yet I was totally clueless about my body. And finding out what cervical fluid really was and like how super the superpowers that it has and how fascinating it is and how intrinsic to our cycles it is, I was like, Holy crap. I I had a memory too. I remember we were at a pool party and we were coming back in to get dressed and all of our clothes was kind of in a pile and it wasn't my underwear, but it was a friend of mine. And I remember her underwear was like 
almost stiff with the with like you know because of the cervical fluid had dried and someone like picked it up and was like ew whose underwear is this and this poor girl was mortified and that's just how clueless we all were we were just so clueless and i mean that went into like shaving and bikini lines which then razor rash and it was like de-hairing your <laughs> like oh my god i mean yeah it, it was a traumatizing experience i mean i have an added layer of like psychosis there because of my skin condition which manifested when i was 13 years old so i went through all of this with boils that manifested on my inner thigh and like very close to my genitals which was oh my gosh yeah traumatizing to say the least but it was the point is that if we had known, I can only hope that for younger generations, I hope that they don't suffer like we did because of the lack of education and the lack of empowerment and the lack of honest conversations about how diverse bodies are. And I truly hope that this trend that, again, minority, but that our sister is part of, our little sister, that, I mean, granted, when she was in high school, it wasn't like that either. She kind of experienced the same, a lot of the same things we did and then went to college in California. <laughs> and like got woke and like came back and was like, no, 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 I'm not playing that game anymore because it is. It's, and it really all just wraps up into adults and we have trauma that manifests in so many ways. And then we begin these healing journeys. And I think that's why a lot of us are called to do what we do, you know? And that's why I was called to create my platform. And I didn't share with anybody about my skin condition, except for you, mom, and like my husband. I even hid it from boyfriends, God knows how. And I remember it wasn't until I had my platform and I started healing through food that I came out about it. Like, you know, I was like, I have the skin condition. I've been hiding it my whole life. I, because I was told by doctors and just by, you know, that it was my fault, that it was, I had to wash better. I had to lose weight. I had, to, you know, it was my fault. It was, I was dirty and I was fat. And that's why I had the skin condition that manifested essentially was what I was told. And it wasn't until I was, oh my gosh, I'm 30 years old, you know? that I learned that, wow, it's because it's food and it's autoimmune disease and there's inflammation and, you know, maybe all this like processed food, because even though our diet was better than some people, cause our mom cooked from scratch and she always like, you know, but come on, there was like, I binge, I had binge eating habits, obviously sugar addiction, lots of inflammatory foods. And, you know, I, there is a history of autoimmune disease in our family, which again, we didn't even put those dots together until I figured, I found out I'm like, oh, MS, our, multiple sclerosis. Our dad has multiple sclerosis. Oh, you know, uh, lupus or Hashimoto's or arthritis, like all these things that we just thought, oh, people have these things. They're just diseases. No, they're autoimmune. They're connected. There's a predisposition. And then of course, all the other factors of stress. And, you know, I took a ton of medicine as a kid. I was sick a lot. And it just, it just was, like you said, like that moment where you found out when you started tracking and that empowerment, that's how I felt when I discovered food is medicine and autoimmune protocol and paleo and what autoimmune disease actually was and why it happens. Because then all of a sudden, this, you know, kind of like burden of my life was just, this, yeah, it wasn't my fault anymore. I was like, well, yeah, it wasn't because I was gross. It was because it was lack of information. And God, I was so mad. <laughs> like so many doctor's appointments, so many, and no one ever asked about other than lose weight, but not, no one mentioned autoimmunity. No one mentioned inflammatory foods. It was just lose weight, which of course, you know, we know, well, that'll be another episode. My history oh, that of dieting. Whole... Yes. <laughs> dieting and body dysmorphia. Yes, um, that is definitely. But I want to talk about a little bit about our community and our need to connect, because I think that 
this is why we are doing this podcast. This, that's why I went online essentially to find other people like me who were healing through food, who had autoimmune disease, who kind of felt lost and all of a sudden found and empowered through the, that food movement. But, you know, we're both, we grew up really close to our family, close to each other. And we both kind of were plucked out of our environment and have for the most part raised our kids away from our family. And just because it's modern life and we move around for jobs and spouses and whatnot, but gosh, there's, so much, just like our cycles and our intuition with food and the signals, we have this need, this biological primal need to be in with our people. We are, you know, we are clan, you know, tribal people by nature. Human connection is so important. And in, I think it's this big missing piece today because the internet is a, has a wonderful place or at least it used to be. I'm not feeling so hot about it lately, but it's not the same. Like it can never replace in real life connection, like getting to that meeting, getting, making it that meet, meet like, you know, not canceling on your phone for the coffee shop, having people over finding people in your community. And like, what does that, like, what do you, you like, what does that mean to you, Laura? Like as someone, as a mother, as someone in your, you know, you're, you're someone who kind of created your own community where you live. And someone who's not an extrovert, because you're not as extroverted as I am. I don't know many people who are as extroverted <laughs> as you. So actually being a mother kind of opened up a lot of community connection for me, which was a new experience. Being a mother in a city where I didn't know anyone. I love to spend a lot of time outside with my children. And I, I began by connecting with neighbors that also had children right. and connecting with young mothers. And um, that was also part of what inspired me to do this work, having conversations, having conversations with other women. Everyone had a different birth story. Everyone had a different relationship with their menstrual cycles and their bodies and their marriages or some that were no longer in marriages. And I, I began to notice how important it was and nurturing it was for us to meet, to have time, to talk, to talk about the most intimate details of our lives. And there was something unspoken that was that would that just happens when women gather. I I feel like when women gather together and begin to share their just from their heart how they're feeling, how they're really doing, what they're thinking about, worried about experiencing. And their friends and sisters are listening, offering compassion, you know, just holding sacred space for them, acknowledging them, seeing them, seeing them in a way that society doesn't really see and acknowledge them. And I say that because there's this, promoted image of a very put together mom pushing the baby on the shoulder with her super cute outfit, you know, and the healthy food and the, and doing yoga in her yoga pants and this idea. And then the husband comes home or the partner comes home and they're kissing and they have a romantic relationship that's still alive somehow. And their house is beautiful and worthy of Pinterest. And then what you when in your neighborhood, what you see is like moms coming out in their pajamas to roll in the garbage. And I cross the street to see my neighbor and all she needs is a hug. And I hug her and she starts crying on my shoulder. And we don't need to say anything to each other. She just needed to be held. And all her kids are inside and they're hungry. And, you know, dad's getting 
driving out the driveway, getting ready to go to work or feeding the kids about to go or whatever, whatever. Everybody's situation is so unique, but we crave that. We crave crave to be seen and to be held and to be cared for, especially by people who understand. Empathy is therapy, man. It is. And there's just something so special. I started attending for about a year. I went to moon circles and every full moon, I went to a women's uh, moon circle group. It was just so deeply inspiring. It was women of all ages, all backgrounds from, I mean, people would drive from far and wide to make it to these moon circles. And it was a sacred container. And the, like, it was a, it was a, it was like distilling wisdom. Everyone that participated in just shared something that was serving the whole group. It was magical because I realized that is how we learn. That is how we nurture each other, sharing recipes, stories, ideas, experiences that fills the soul more than anything else. Anything. I agree. I mean, I, I, I yearn for human connection a lot. It definitely is. It energizes me. And I move every three years because of my husband's military career and it got, it was, some of these moves have been really hard um, because of that, because I lacked community people. And it was, it was the women on our, my street or the mothers, and we would just find each other in parks and we just like magnets to each other. And even here in Virginia, which where I am now in the morning, the bus stop, you know, and we always sit there. And as we, you know, at first it was a little weird and we didn't know each other, but as the year has gone by and now it's been almost two years. Now we all sit and, and hang out after the kids leave and we share our frustrations or our stories or how we spent the night or what's going to happen or what just what's happening. We check in with each other. And it's interesting because even though that's all the communication we have for the most part, these 10 minutes in the morning and in the afternoon, when something happens, when something goes down, you know, when Justin's mother passed away, it was like, we have to get on a flight. And they're like, hey, I'll take care of your dog, you know, or I'm, I can't make it to the bus stop. Don't worry, I got your kid. You know, and it's having that, it's, it's like, we, there's like this, like this pact, like we've got each other, you know, and we always say, and even when the new mom comes, we're like, don't worry if you don't make it, or if you don't know the schedule and we help each other because it is, it's so, it's so innate. We just, we're, we gravitate towards each other because we really thrive. And I think in our family, we didn't really, we didn't really honor that until we were far away and we realized how much strong, like how much we thrive off being together. And when we all can get together, you, me, and Ana Victoria, and mom, if it's the three of us or the four of us, we feel stronger. And when my, my, so we're, one, we're three sisters. My mom's also one of three sisters. And so, and even when the, the six of us, or my cousin Diana's, or seven of us, like when all the women get together, and it's funny because they, they've, they've downed it, like they call it the Jarabelada, <laughs> my mother's name, but we do. It's amazing. And you just feel nurtured and empowered. And there's such beautiful like history there because even when we have differences and there's just there's some magic when you get when women get together it's you know and even if like I love that book witch you know at Lisa Lisa Lister because she's like you know you don't have to be a witch to be a witch it's like every woman inherently is there's this you know we used to joke around when we were younger that our mom was you know her intuition was has always been like super intense about things and but we've really come to like, it's kind of was this running joke though. Now we take it a little more seriously because there is this power there. And I think honoring that in the most organic way, because you don't have to force it because it's just the way we are is just, it's so powerful and it's, it's so beautiful and such a huge, huge piece of the puzzle to our overall health. 
like huge, like hugs, like your friend who you went across the street and you hugged her and just like hugs heal and supporting and honoring each other. I think it's more important than ever. You know, we have to like sisters in arms, like we have to be there for each other. So, you know, when you see that mom and she's new to the neighborhood or, you know, just smile at her, say hi, the mom at the grocery store with her, like two kids throwing a full blown tantrum. And you can kind of tell she probably hasn't showered in a few days and she's like at her wits end, just like, you know, give her a little, like, I I see you (laughs) because it could be make or break, you know, someone's day. No, I think it was beautifully said how you put it. And um, my hope is that in having these conversations, just being able to have this space to talk with my sister Christy and our passion projects and our real life and just open up a space of vulnerability, intimacy, knowledge. Yeah, that it's something that can really resonate to our listeners and feel like a space where they can also just kind of curl up and be in circle with us. Absolutely. And we're, we're very like different personalities. We're, you know, like Irish twins, 13 months apart, Mm -hmm. both Gemini's, but both, you know, left and right hand we're, and I think there's a beauty in that because between in the space between we want you here with us and we want to explore this, you know, the different versions of wisdom and we will interview people and we will have guests and, I just, a collection of stories and conversations to really inspire you to, to follow your own, to, to, you know, to go inward into your own innate wisdom and listen to the voices within because they're powerful. Thanks so much for listening. Yes. Thank you so much. Bye. Until the next one.